This is Cliff Dogs Podcasts, where Dr. Cliff Harvey chats with cool people doing interesting things in performance, business, health, and the creative arts. Every time, you know how you get those mental sort of hitches and every time you write something, you write it incorrectly. Every mm. time I write podcasts, I write it as podcasts. And because it's become ingrained now, I do it all the mm. time. So uh, when I first was throwing around ideas with a guy in the States, actually, my, my mate Johnny, we were talking about a podcast years ago, which never ended up happening. But I kept mm. writing in emails, podcasts, and he said, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, well, hey, as a crazy cat lady, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I changed it to that. And it's, it's the, the whole the idea as well is to make it a little bit more fun too because yeah. you know it's I, i'm i'm sick of shit getting so serious all the time oh tell me As about i'll see you yeah, through the new branding it's pretty funny it's um yeah i like yeah. it cool nice but anyway yeah it's, um, i'm glad to be able to chat with you again michelle it's always a pleasure obviously yeah no it's new zealand it's and the uh... world's best health coach <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, I appreciate the praise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to receive it sometimes. I was on a um, a sort of po podcast thing or class, I guess, with uh, Grant Schofield last night, and he was being very complimentary. And I, I felt like it's it's all very nice, but sometimes you think, well, it's, that's not actually correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but for you, it nice is. I'm, I'm not saying it's not. <laughs> yeah. It was a nice setup when we did the first uh, health coaching class and you set me up as being the world's best health coach. And I thought, oh, geez, no pressure. <laughs> Tell you what, though, I mean, we get such great feedback from the students from those classes, you know, and um, I, you're obviously a I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here. You're a gifted educator and you're very effective at what you do. So I think any... Um, sort of compliments are, are well placed. Oh, thank you. But, I mean, you, you've been, um, obviously I, I s watch what you're doing cause we're obviously involved in, um, you know, delivering some of your content through the, uh, holistic performance Institute and, and, you know, obviously I, I take an interest in what you're doing anyway. It looks like you've been super busy since we last spoke. I mean, we, we last spoke on last spoke on the podcast, just, I, I think it was over a year ago. Mm. Um, since then, is it fair to say that the empowered eating course has sort of evolved and taken on a new life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, I had all these goals for the empowered eating course and for the, the center for empowered eating, and they were very much, oh, before, before the new year, before 2022, this is what I want to get done. And then lockdown happened and all of a sudden I was miss productivity and even though nothing changes for me I always work from home but it was something about I guess not having to go anywhere and you know not having to run any errands or whatever and having all that time and I just went into like power mode and all of a sudden I had you know recorded about 10 hours of video and I had the the new branding and I had the I transferred everything over to teachable which is a much better platform for the courses, um, I thought, okay, now I've got all this and I really wanted to do the, the course for coaches. So I whipped that together and, you know, it was, it just all happened and, and it worked out really well because now I'm, I'm feeling a slightly less motivated, but it's all done. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's super cool because, you know, I, th I think especially now, I mean, you guys aren't in lockdown down there, obviously. No, not anymore. No. Uh, but up here, I think, 
you know, I'm obviously in Auckland for people listening in. The, the I think there is a lot of lockdown fatigue happening now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, that didn't really kick in until probably six or so weeks into the lockdown. It's not to say that I, I like being locked down, but probably a little bit like you, I, I, I focused a lot on certain things. And mm. it's the same thing. It's not like anything much changed. We work from home. You know, I like to sort of, limit my work hours to spend a bit more time with Bella and Dex and all that kind of stuff. And so nothing really changed in that respect, except that there wasn't the compulsion to have to go out and do other things. Um, Mm. And so I think as well, just having the idea, maybe the concept of being locked down, you sort of think about, well, what can I do at home to, to achieve a certain goal? And for me, it was mainly physical stuff. I was getting back into training a lot, you know, decided to compete in a virtual competition in December. Um, so I've been fully back into weightlifting and stuff, and that's been really cool. And I've I've made better gains in the last two months than probably the previous, I don't know, 10 years, maybe, yeah. since I, maybe even since I sort of retired from, retired, I say retired from weightlifting. No one ever really retires, but you know what I mean, from, from doing lots of competitions yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I can relate to that. It's, um, it, it's super interesting how the mindset can shift that productivity very quickly. Yeah, I was, yeah, it was, it was really, um, it was fascinating and I just kept going with it. I'm like, I've still got the energy, I've still got the drive, like, let's just see how much I can do. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah, I had the, the revamped empowered eating course for individuals and then I had the, the course for coaches, which is something that I've always wanted to do. So it, it is funny how the, the mindset shifts like that. But like you say, I think it can only last so long. And then by about week eight or nine, I probably would have seen a lag in that motivation. Yeah. Um, had I still been in lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's the thing now is it's, it's not really that much of an imposition for us. Thankfully, you know, we're very privileged in that respect, except that mm-hmm. it's those little things, you know, it's the, the reluctance to even go out sometimes because, uh, you know, have I got my mask, you know, are there going to be lots of people around, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, lots of things that we can't do, you know, you just can't go and sit in a cafe and have a meeting with someone, but you know, mm. I'm sounding very, um, very much like first world problems here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't go to my oh, local no, cafe and sit it. and sit there and just hang out for hours. <laughs> yeah. But you know what is, it, it is it's a first world problem and it isn't, I mean, it's, it's about connection, right? And, and yeah. being able to connect with others other than our immediate circle or a bubble. And, you know, I think, I was reading about a study yesterday, you know, where where loneliness is one of the uh, biggest contributors to, to being unwell. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, I think that it definitely has some validity that it, it, it does affect us uh, very much to be locked down for too long. Yeah. And I, I wondered to, I mean, this, this plays into probably you know, what, what we could talk about as far as nutrition and health and those types of things go as well. I do think that there is a a critical component of a desire for freedom within humans. You know, we, mm. we, we need freedom and we crave it. And even if we're not functionally changing what we do, just the inability to have the freedom to do other things, I think is, is mm. really impactful for people's mental health. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as you know, with empowered eating, it's, it's the, you know, if something's affecting our mental health, um, it's affecting our physical health often, uh, you know, and that sort of that emotional or the, the 
spiritual health then affects the mental health again and, and it is a cycle and that sort of realizing that can be a really important part of being yeah. healthier and happier. So tell me, we've talked in the past about what, what you do, you know, in sort of mm -hmm. practice. We've talked about health coaching in general. So mm -hmm. take me back a little bit and explain what what sort of problems or challenges led to you formulating this idea of empowered eating? Because usually it's that there's a pain point, right, that leads us to sort of want mm -hmm. to find a solution. So what, what led to you formulating empowered eating? Yeah, there, there was a couple of pain points. There was personal pain points in the sense of having, you know, been on and off diets for, for most of my life, starting from 12 years old. Um, and experiencing all the negative consequences that went with being going on and off different diets and um, ultimately getting to the point where my um, physical health was being hindered due to the obsessiveness around food and uh, restriction and all that sort of thing, getting to the point where it was almost borderlining into the realm of orthorexia and uh, having, you know, really, really strict rules and having a lot of anxiety around breaking those rules. And so on a personal level, empowered eating came from that journey for as far as healing my own relationship with food, but also in my practice being a health coach. You know, when I first started out, it was all, you know, very simple. I would give them some meal ideas and I give them accountability and I would, you know, support people and they would do really well while they were with me. And then our, our you know, our time together would finish for whatever reason. And, you know, I would find that more often than not, people didn't stick to the, you know, the meal plans. They didn't stick to uh, what we had talked about, uh, you know, following our time together. So, and I think that that happens quite frequently, you know, and I thought, well, if I'm not setting my clients up for life, well, then I'm doing them a disservice. And that's when I really started to get into the behavioral side of things and um, the science behind behavior change and really started to focusing more on those, those skills that health coaching can offer and for, you know, not being the expert, but being somebody that walks alongside somebody and empowers them to be increase their self-efficacy, you know, with health and their own motivations. And, you know, it, it's opposite to the diet industry because I don't want them to have to rely on me for the rest of their lives. I want them to be able to listen to their own bodies and be able to have a healthy and happy relationship with food, you know, carrying onwards. So yeah. both of those things sort of got me to that point where I was like, okay, well, what is the secret to helping people achieve lifetime health and why aren't they maintaining these wonderful meal plans I'm giving them that are, you know, they did so great with and they were following it and they were feeling great. And so why couldn't they tell me you that? discovered and the secret? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> right. Okay. I get it. Cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I very much am a problem solver, you know, and I thought just, this isn't, this isn't working for me. This isn't working for my clients. Um, and you know, as much of it may not be a, um, the word, you know, I think financially it, it may not, it may be counterintuitive to have people not want my services when we're done. But for me, I just think 
again, I don't want people to have to rely on me for the rest of their lives to tell them what to eat or for somebody else to tell them what to eat. You know, it needs to come from them. Yeah. So, so that's the goal and, and stay that aligned, excuse me, aligned with the, the whole, you know, behavioral change sciences and health coaching just creates a double whammy that, you know, can really help people. Yeah. It's, that's an interesting point you make because that's a really common point of discussion in nutrition is, you know, how often are practitioners almost engendering, um, what's the term? How much are they engendering empowerment in people or how much are they encouraging that person to become reliant on them? Mm, mm. You know, obviously from a business perspective, a lot of people would say, well, I want my client to be coming back to me. Uh, yeah, whereas, yeah. you know, we'd have to discuss whether, you know, is that ethical? Is it more important to have someone discover the ways that they can be healthy in the long term? And I mean, I, I'd much rather, I figure there's lots of people out there, so I'd much rather have clients who are empowered to get shit done themselves and are able to do it and don't need me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with empowered eating, I've got a few questions about how this sort of fits into the context of the, the new approaches to nutrition that a lot of people are talking about. So is this an anti-diet approach or a non-diet approach, or is there some sort of difference between those? Yeah, um, I, I don't like the term anti-diet, and the reason being because a lot of the people who come to see me have been on and off diets, and that's all they know, and I don't want them to feel like they're they're wrong because they've tried that or because they still have this desire to try that. Um, but I would say that I empowered eating is most definitely a non-diet approach. So it's like, okay, I hear you and I hear the, the uh, you know, your history and these stories about these diets and now we're going to try something different. So it's a very compassionate, non-judgmental way of doing things. So I feel like just anti-diet just sounds like I'm anti-you. I'm anti-you because you're silly for going on all these diets and you know how could you do that diets don't work where it's more like okay let's look at what you've done now let's try something um different so this this non-diet approach is really around focusing on health behaviors as opposed to external uh you know signs that that you're becoming healthier in the sense of no that doesn't sound right but in the sense of uh basically the scale right. and maybe their measurements. But as far as, you know, obviously we can determine somebody's health by their blood work and, and that sort of thing as well. So that is an external thing, but um, ultimately it's about that. Uh, yeah. Just, just helping people to increase their healthy habits because it's been shown that regardless of whether somebody achieves weight loss, if they start eating better and exercising, getting fresh air meditating that their health, can improve. And so that's what we're focusing on with a non-diet approach is how can we help somebody be healthier? And I think there's mm. a lot of misconceptions around non-diet approach that it's like, just eat whatever you want and, and, you know, just go nuts. And, and yeah, fair enough, you may go through a period of that, but ultimately the goal of a non-diet approach is health <laughs> and happiness. And I think that's something that everybody can agree on. So how does this differ from haze or health at every size um, for people who haven't heard that term before? Yeah, um, it, it doesn't differ in the, in the sense of health at every size. Um, 
or any health at every size. Yeah, I get it mixed up. A lot of people say health, but at, oh, no. I get it mixed up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to think of the, the letters there, but it, it doesn't differ. I mean, the philosophies of, of Hayes are intertwined within empowered eating, but there's a lot of misconceptions, again, around what health at every size is, and yep. it's the common misconception is that it is saying that every size is or can be healthy. And, and it's not saying... I will stop you there for a second because some people who are into haze believe that. And the, I think I think some people who are into haze misinterpret what haze is. And they are basically out there saying it doesn't matter what size you are. You can be healthy irrespective of... And I think that's a little bit trepidous. I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I know people are going to be commenting, but hey, it is what it is. I think that can be true, but it's very rare that that is true. Uh, we do know that obviously there are pretty considerable, you know, significant, meaningful associations between how adipose we are and, and health. I mean, that's a reality. But it was you that, um, you know, really showed me the the difference and nuance there between interpreting this as being healthy at every size versus the, mm. you know, the mm. pursuit and achievement of health at every size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I say, I think the arguments that, that occur over that and the people that are haze aligned and saying that I would argue don't get it either. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The, the founders of Hayes are very clear that this is about health affirming behaviors at any size. Yeah. So they're saying that no matter what size you are, you deserve equal health care. You deserve to, to be able to find ways to move your body at your size. You, you deserve to find ways to incorporate good nutrition at your size. Um, and that everybody should be treated equally and not experience the weight stigma um, that goes along with it. That's what Hayes is saying. And, you know, I'm open for people to correct me that if I'm saying that incorrectly, because I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm learning about Hayes over the last few years as well. But I, it, it's about equal care and it's about addressing weight stigma. And it's not going, oh, you know, everybody's healthy. I mean, we know that somebody who is, um, emancipated and thin and potentially suffering from anorexia, they, they are not healthy. So it goes from equal, you know, equal ends of the spectrum, but it's saying that everybody deserves equal care. Any size can uh, increase their healthy behaviors. Everybody deserves um, to be respected. And I say that yeah. when you say it like that, I would argue that most people wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. That's, and that's really interesting in the context of health care because really this aligns with um, health coaching in general, right? So but before yeah. I go off on a little tirade, how how does this differ from, you know, stock standard health coaching? You know, is it sort of an extension of health coaching? Does it have, mm -hmm. did you go down the rabbit hole a little bit more? Like what, what nuances are particular to empowered eating that sort of differentiate it from health coaching? Yeah, it's, it's about giving people the tools to help others to achieve health from a right. non-diet approach. So it, as far as I know, this is the only health coaching course 
available that that focuses on or talks about weight stigma or talks about this non-dietic culture. There's lots of things out there for uh, health practitioners in the sense of dietitians and nutritionists, but this is really specific to how can you as a health coach achieve, help your patients, your clients to achieve health without messing their relationship with food up more. Right. <laughs> Um, and so it's very specific to health coaching. This course, obviously, it would benefit anybody that works within nutrition. But it's with health coaching. Like, yeah, yeah. And and so I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. So would it be fair to paraphrase and say that you know health coaching is sort of the overarching structure of a client-centered approach, and there are obviously key aspects of that or key elements of that, including you know, nutrition, movements, street, uh, mm. sleep, stress, things like that. Mm. Empowered eating is a almost a system or it's strategies and tactics that can be applied to actually get that cut through and get results. Yeah, yeah, with, without, you know, stigmatizing somebody unintentionally, yeah. you know, um, and just being aware of that. So it's all, it's all about health, it really is. And I think there's a misconception, I mean, Weight loss is not a behavior. It's a result of potentially behaviors. And so we're here to help with behavior change. What mm. happens to somebody's body when we, uh, you know, help them to improve their health is individual. And, yeah. you know, there's lots of nuances and things that affect somebody's body size. And we're just here to help them achieve health. And, you know, that's going to look different for different people. And I feel that that's, you know, if somebody, for example, were to go and, and see a health coach, um, cases where somebody might unintentionally stigmatize somebody is if they are a bigger person and they're <clears throat> focusing only on a weight loss plan, but not helping them to actually be healthier in the sense of, let's see, how can we add more vegetables to your diet? How can we get you moving more? You yeah. know, the, the six markers are only... Oh, did you lose, you know, kgs mm. did you lose last week? I mean, we all know that weight loss can be, um, it can be healthy, but it can also not be. Yep. And just prescribing weight loss, I mean, that could be, you know, I mean, obviously, if you starve yourself, you're going to lose weight potentially, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. Um, so, yeah, so I think there's a lot of misconception around, you know, what empowered eating is and what health at every size is and what intuitive eating is. And I, I think I know that this course will clarify some of that, but most importantly, giving coaches the tools to help um, their, their clients to unlock these, you know, inner motivations and be able to listen to their bodies again and to, to stop relying on the scale to tell them whether they're healthy or not. Yeah, I, I love that idea of like the concept that you brought up that weight loss is not something you do because you do other things. And I think that's often the missing link is that people think, well, I, I need to lose weight. And that's mm. the thing they're thinking about doing. But of course, it's the, the strategy, strategies and tactics of health that allow mm. for, you know, healthy weight management, whatever that looks like for the individual. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah. And people feel really disheartened if they don't lose the weight, even though they're actually improving their health. Yeah. Thus, they self-sabotage and think it's not working. I'm not getting healthier because the scale's not budging. Exactly. And I mean, you know what I've always said, the form follows function. You know, the form that we have as a human animal is a result of 
function. It's a result of the things that we do. And so I've always framed it in that way for people when they come in uh, to, to my clinic and they say, I, I want to lose X amount of weight. It's like, well, that it depends on the context too, because sometimes if it's a professional athlete, I need to lose this weight to compete next week. It's like, that's fine because often there's not any judgment, guilt or shame from either end about it. It's purely just yeah. a metric, right? But obviously for most people in the mainstream, that's not the case. It's tied up with other stuff. And so I'll typically reframe that as, well, that's cool, but let's do the things to be healthy. And then your body will take on the form. And mm. I had a, a really good discussion with one of my mentees the other day. And they were asking, how do I shift this focus that my clients have on their weight to a focus on their health? Yeah. And take them to the reading course. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. People need to understand the strategies and tactics to do it. And one thing that we discussed was hold on. The even the idea of health, as you well know, because we've discussed this in depth and I gave a talk on it at your um, event down in New Plymouth, even the idea of health is very arbitrary. Mm -hmm. So weight, totally. weight is an objective measure, but it doesn't still cut through objectively to what someone's actual goal is. Neither does yeah. health, because if people then reframe it and say, well, I'm not pursuing a weight goal anymore, I'm pursuing health, health doesn't mean yeah. anything. So this mm. is where those strategies and tactics of health coaching and powered eating, I think, come in. And they're yeah. asking the, the, you know, three plus levels of whys, for example, why do you want to be healthy mm. for this reason? Mm. Why yeah. do you want that for this reason? Yeah. And then it starts to become more and more evocative. And then people yeah. actually have real goals that are, um, you know, touch points for them that really mesh with their ethos. Mm. And, and empowered eating the course for coaches, it really dives deep into helping, uh, you know, we talk a little bit about it in the lifestyle and wellness coaching course, but in Empowered Eating, we really get dig deep into unlocking those, those whys and those internal motivators. You know, what will this look like? What, you know, what, how will your life change when you achieve that goal? And, you know, and, and when you look at things like, oh, I want to lose five kgs, it's like, okay, well, how's your, why do you want to lose five kgs? Oh, well, I want more energy. Okay, well, let's focus on more energy. Uh, why do you want more energy? Yeah, yeah exactly. Run with my, my grandkids. Oh, okay. So it's, a, it's your values are fam around family and that's really important to you. So let's focus on that. Exactly. That, that's, that's so important because, you know, often we're, as practitioners, rushing to the solution. But we're not finding necessarily the right solution. And even if we are, it's, it might be the right solution for us. Not necessarily yeah, for them. Like we need our own, it's, it's like we need our own like validation. It's like for us potentially as a, as a coach or a practitioner that we're like, if they achieve X, then I am a successful coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, that's also an element of care. You know, we, we want for our clients to get results because we, we want to be of value to them. We want to be of service. But I think totally. if we put that over and above, if we're not careful, we can end up being in that position of being superior, hierarchical. This is what you do. And if you just do this, you're going to get results mm. rather than, mm. you know, when we're asking people why, because if someone comes in and says, I want to lose five kilos, like that, that's easy. We can do that. But that mm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be healthier or happier necessarily. And obviously I think happiness is the, the key outcome. I believe. Yeah. And so 
I can give you a plan. You'll lose five kilos, but then where are we? So this is where those tactics that you're talking about are so critical because then people are actually beginning to mesh that, like you say, with what's most important for them for their ultimate life Mm. of happiness, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, down to me someone might lose five kgs and actually be less happy or they might be you know still just not you know happy and keep setting the bar or maybe i need to lose another five kgs to be happier maybe and and that's obviously where we can get into a rabbit hole of potentially dangerous behaviors as well so um yeah it's it's all for me it's all about people being happy (laughs) um and 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 healthy but being healthy obviously contributes to being happy as well because you know our body's functioning the way it should so absolutely say healthy can be quite arbitrary and and what that looks like i mean if you were to go um, potentially into um you know different cultures then healthy can look very different and it could be defined very differently as you know yeah i think particularly with body image i think we would all agree that where there is you know, a, a, a very excessive state of adiposity in the body, there are likely to be a whole raft of consequences from that, you know, hyperinflammation and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily going to be healthy. However, when we're looking at what is a, a healthy body fat level, there's quite a large range there. And I think we default to thinking that the leaner, the better. And yeah, yeah. When it's, it's often the, um, those that would be considered in the overweight category of BMI that are often living the longest. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, I mean, I think it was insurance companies that reset the bar for, for um, BMI a long time ago. And it was like overnight, all of a sudden, all these people were now considered overweight that weren't the day before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, so again, it's this, this, cool and it's like well how do you feel can you move your body freely do you um you know are you living your best life the best of your capabilities are you you know your health markers good i mean hey great you know like i think people need to understand that bmi is a it's it's an indicator and it's really useful it's i I don't mean really useful what i mean is it's particularly useful on a population scale for for research because it tends towards, but as you alluded to, we miss a lot of nuance within it. You know, I, I would say that I don't think most people would think that I am borderline obese, but I am. Mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I would say, yeah, I mean, most of them would be obese. Not obese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And so that shows, you know, some of the ridiculousness of it, um, obviously for on population scale stuff, when we're looking at research and things like that, it's, it's kind of the only measure that we have mm. um however there are ones that are probably more effective for that as well i'd say waist height ratio is a, a far better indicator because that actually speaks to you know metabolic disorder but all of that notwithstanding you know the the reality is that there is a pretty big range of adiposity within mm. which people can be not just optimally healthy but you know even more importantly optimally happy you know, if you put on a percent body fat or 2% body fat by eating that Snickers bar a couple of times a week that you love, not that that would result in 2% body fat, but let's say it did. 
um, <laughs> then is that an issue? You know, if you, I, I don't yeah. believe so. And it could be that that little thing provides for that sense of freedom that is so important. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think we could definitely go down a rabbit hole here with, you know, um, discussions of, of BMI and all of this sort of thing and, and you know, um, the health consequences that potentially relate to being too small or too big. But ultimately, it, it revolves around how can I help my clients to be healthier and happier yeah. and just, you know, and not stigmatize them for being in a bigger body. You know, like I, I often use this example of um, somebody close to me who went to uh, their GP and with their husband, um, this person was, is technically obese and the husband was not. And they both went in with the same diagnosis, you know, pre-diabetes. Um, she was told, just to lose weight, not how, not anything along that weight. He was given um, the medication and he was given, um, you know, dietary advice and look that sort of thing. So yeah. it was, you know, that, that's where we get problems where people, one, just make assumptions and, you know, making assumption that this person is not actively trying to lose weight or not, you know, eating well or whatever. Um, but that's an example of where I think we can get into trouble and, you know, both people can get the same advice to eat well and to help their improve their metabolic health, you know? Um, and that's what the focus is with empowered eating is, is those strategies to mm. help people to be emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy. Perhaps, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that speaks to a wider public health issue, like a failure of public health. Mm, totally. In, in yeah. that we have, uh, and I'm not blaming medical doctors necessarily. I think it's the way that we ha have trained health practitioners across the board for a long time. And I think it's also that you have medical doctors who are, are expected to, to know and recommend for every nuance of health. Mm. Right? So you, you go along to your doc and you've got markers of prediabetes and it's almost expected that they will be able to give you comprehensive nutrition exercise, lifestyle advice. And, and really, I would say that's out of scope of practice for a medical doctor. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously there are doctors who practice much more holistically. Maybe they've done additional upskilling, all that kind of stuff. That's mm -hmm. great. But it probably also speaks to now the growing movement for primary health organizations and, and clinics to have health coaches on staff or empowered eating coaches on staff. Totally. I, I would love every you know, coach out there to, to well, obviously to, to learn the empowered eating principles, because I just think it's going to make their care, especially in, um, you know, with medical practices and GP, it's just going to make that level of care so much more, um, oh, what's the word I want to look for better, well, better. <laughs> but more informed, more informed. I mean, we talk a lot about, you know, trauma informed care in the empowered eating course as well and understanding even, um, Exercise trauma, which is something we talk about in the empowered eating course as well, and people who may be adverse to exercise because you know they've been stigmatized in the past or been that that fat kid that didn't get picked for the teams or whatever. You know, these are the things and how to work with people um, to help them improve their their physical activity despite having these negative associations with yeah. exercise. Um, so it's just it's that that. What I feel is the missing link in a lot of health coach training and dietetic training and medical 
training and hopefully we can change that. <laughs> it's a really good point. I, I gave a talk a few weeks back for the Health Coaches Association on the importance of strength training for, mm. for health. And one of the aspects, obviously I spoke about the, the realities that, you know, that the research is pretty clear that the most effective form of training for people is strength training. If you compare them all now, it's not to say that you don't want to do cardiovascular training, endurance training, whatever. It's just that if you look at them and compare them on balance, strength training gives the best effect over time for health markers, for weight maintenance, all that kind of stuff. Great. But it also speaks to something else, I think, because not only is it the most effective modality, I think there is something unique about strength, which to my mind meshes with empowerment. There's almost this mind-body thing where, where people are becoming stronger and it doesn't mm. need to be through a lot of exercise but when they're becoming physically stronger I do feel that they also become mentally more resilient mm. but there's also something else within that in that I, I think the mentality and I see this I've seen this for years you know I've been in practice for 24 years now I've seen this so many times with clients who have really struggled with you know body image and societal perceptions of who they are and their own perceptions of who they are. The idea is that you've got to beat yourself up with exercise. So you, punishment for being in a bigger body. Yeah. You beat yourself into submission and you starve <laughs> yourself into shape. Right. Mm. Mm. And strengthening the body generally doesn't involve that. You know, no. when you start into a program of strength, if you're a strength athlete, you're seldom training to failure. You're working within your capacities, but you're building strength and resilience over time, right? And so, as you know, sometimes I'll have a client starting with one push up and one squat tomorrow, and the next day two push ups, two squats. Yeah, but it works, right? Because it's not it's not challenging in terms of creating that fear and anxiety around it. But yeah, then it's about improve. It's about self care as opposed to self punishment. Absolutely, and I think that's the way. You know, even with the, the time that I spent in strength sports and, you know, the, the, the strength training that I still do and the strength sports I'm still involved with, one of the key aspects of it is not to beat myself up, specifically not to beat myself up. Training mm -hmm. within capacity, making sure that I can recover, you know, the old idea that a lot of strength coaches talk about that you should leave your session still feeling pretty fresh. You know, that's... Mm. I know I'm probably going down a rabbit hole again, but that's anathema to a lot of people who think you have to be really exhausted, really sweaty, you know, really wrecked every time you train. Otherwise, mm. you're not going to get results. Well, that's not the way it works. Pain no gain. Exactly. And you wouldn't do that with any other skill that we try and learn. You know, if you're trying to be a better writer, you don't yeah. sit in front of your computer and write until you literally can't write anymore. That's mm. crazy. You wouldn't go if you're learning tennis and serve balls until you literally can't pick up the racket anymore. You're just doing yeah, yourself an injury. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I agree. One of the things you you alluded to there, which I, I I'm really glad you did because I wanted to, to to sort of explore this a little bit further is how can empowered eating coaching be integrated into an existing health practice? Because I think a lot of people see anything, whether it be health coaching, empowered eating coaching, or any other sort of course they can do as being a standalone thing. I am then this, mm. but, but it's not quite that, is it? I mean, this can be very well integrated as if you're a medical doctor or a nutritionist mm. or a health coach. 
Mm. Yeah, I see it as a, as a compliment to what people, what credentials people already have. So like say it could be standalone in the sense of um, learning and planting the seeds around this sort of new way of looking at things and, and maybe, you know, again, going down that rabbit hole for somebody who may be new to this way of looking at things. So it, it can be a standalone course. However, it was designed to, uh, to complement existing qualifications, like you say, in, in the health and well-being um, specter. And it's, it's really around, again, how, how can I help my, my client without unintentionally stigmatizing them or intentionally, um, hopefully not, but you know, how can I help uh, nourish, help them to nourish other parts of well-being to thus improve their physical health? You know, yeah. I was looking at um, the concepts here in New Zealand of, of Te Whare Tapafa and how can I take some of those principles and incorporate it into helping people to achieve health? So it, it's all about the questions and I provide lots of questions. Um, that coaches and health practitioners can ask to start these conversations and to help see, uh, help the client to start to see this. And, and ultimately, I mean, helping them to discover their why is, is huge in itself. Yeah. And if a health practitioner knows to ask those questions and, you know, it can take two minutes to ask these questions, you know, why is this important to you? Why is that important to you? Um, what will that look like? You know, that can be a game changer for somebody. And so I do see it as a, as a compliment, as an add on to existing health qualifications. Uh, however, it could still be done standalone. And that includes obviously strength coaches, personal trainers, you know, fitness professionals, who I think often don't necessarily consider going down that route. I know it's becoming more common, but it certainly wasn't back in the day. It was more so that health, uh, sorry, fitness professionals tended to gravitate solely towards sports nutrition, performance nutrition, and then sort of lever that across to the mainstream. Of course, there, there is crossover there, but, you know, I think we're starting to see now that the, the elements of health coaching and, and structures like empowered eating are so beneficial for a fitness professional because well, they're often the ones that are mostly dealing with weight issues, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would love every fitness professional to, to, to do this course. I just think it would be yeah, a game changer for, for clients, and especially around that exercise trauma, which is something that maybe people don't even um, appreciate, you know, and, and how to encourage somebody to move their bodies uh, in a way that they're going to find empowerment from as opposed to this is punishment because you're in a bigger body. Yeah. It, well, one thing that comes to mind there, and this is again a bit tangential, but I just had this thought that so often in seeking solutions, we jump straight into the action. And I think that can certainly be true with, uh, you know, fitness professionals, strength and conditioning professionals is let's say you get a new client in, mm. take their intake, all that kind of stuff, and then get into the training. Whereas perhaps, you know, sometimes a stitch in time saves nine. You, you've got to take that step back and maybe discuss in a little bit more depth what that person's why is and what their true outcome is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what, what will, you know, like more confidence? Okay, great. What does that look like? What will you do 
um, with more confidence that you don't do now. And, and then sometimes people figure out that that's not actually their priority and they're like, oh, actually, that's not really important to me. Actually, it's more around family and setting a good example or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. I guess there's risk inherent there. I've, I know that I've had clients who have approached me and said, you know, I want to do X and Y. And we've had a brief discussion and it's, they've realized that they actually don't want to achieve X and Y, they want to achieve something else. And then they don't need me. So I say, Hey, well, you, you're either, you're probably better off doing something else. Or maybe, Hey, don't come and see me. Just read this book. I think you'll get a lot of benefit out of it. Or maybe have a think about what you're going to do and then decide who, who, or, you know, who you're going to see or whether you actually need to see a practitioner at all. Totally. And, and yeah, I think that that, that probably is, is, uh, it's good. I mean, I, I think that as, as practitioners, we should be referring to other people, as you you know, you always say as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this course is just really for people who, uh, you know, want to help people who are struggling with like, you know, body image or emotional eating, which is a big part of this. Yeah. And, um, you know, self-sabotage and all of those things that we've been talking about. And so fitness professionals, dietitians, doctors, you know, it is definitely going to benefit everybody. And, and I think, you know, um, being biased, but I think, you know, they're going to see a lot more success with their clients if they start using some of these principles or at least understand some of the principles. Yeah. I, I agree. 100%. Let's change the world clip. Well, we can do that. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, part of that is, is obviously being more aware of, of ourselves and you know recognizing that i think we need to be living the the type of path that we might help other people to be on obviously their path is different but you, you know what i'm saying you know we need to be sort of living our own experience well as well uh and you know a big part of that i think is is to recognize certain important things for ourselves you know what is my why and am i living congruent with that and you know that yeah. i think that's been a good a good thing to come out of lockdown for a lot of people that i've spoken to at least myself included uh is that it does provide a bit of a a break in normal life i guess to to be reevaluating re a few things and recognizing what's non-essential um and by non-essential i mean non-essential for that life of happiness we want to be living um, and so, yeah, I mean, that, that's super important. And, and that's something I wanted to talk with you about to sort of finish off is it seems like you're on this ever evolving journey within your practice and your business. And it's, you know, it's always growing in interesting ways. So uh, over the last year or so, since we last spoke, how, how, how have you changed and, and have you had any shifts or learnings in the last year that have really changed your perspective on on life or health or anything else yeah i mean i would say those shifts happened a few years ago and and the what's you know the the empowered eating course is the product of that right um you know these, these shifts are i mean i when i first started out i was a raw food vegan <laughs> and doing you know detox plans and and selling um detox teas i'm embarrassed to say it but i'm not afraid to say it you know yeah. i think that i've definitely evolved considerably since then that would have been about <laughs> eight years ago i would like to hope so and honestly holistic performance institute has played a big part in that 
And, you know, I'd say that what's happened in the last year is more that things have have solidified, you know, and the teachings, the learnings that I've had over these past few years are now, they've settled in the sense of, okay, this is what I need to, to know and this is what I want to teach others and I feel like it's all come together now and I feel like I'm a lot more confident in knowing what's best for my health as well as for others and sort of but that being said you know constantly still learning and evolving but I feel like this empowered eating um, center the, the work that I've done in this last year around health coaching and around everything is is really the result of an entire lifetime <laughs> of learning you know and and bringing me to where I am now so it's, it's a nice place to be and I feel like uh you know I mean I know that this course has changed people's lives and I feel like it's now where I want it to be and again five years from now maybe not but for now I feel like this is where I've uh, been intended to go yeah that, that's a really cool perspective. I, I was talking about a similar thing with Bella the other day about, you know, looking back on my social posts from like 10 or <laughs> longer, 15 years ago, a lot of it was, I'm probably not 10 years ago, probably further back 15 or so years ago. A lot of it was what I'd now probably say is toxic positivity. You know, it's, mm. and the reason behind that, I think was, I was a, a younger man, probably just starting to, to, to really become an actual adult. Cause I don't think we really become a, an adult until our sort of mid twenties, you know, or, or later and, um, later, like <laughs> later, yeah. 25 for men, I think. <laughs> yeah. And maybe later until we actually really start to find ourselves and, and let go of a lot of the rubbish that we carry around. I mean, I know that's a lifetime journey, but I think there are sort of seminal tipping points for that as well. Mm. It was around 40 for me. Right. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. And, and probably <laughs> not dissimilar for me as well. I, I, you know, I think probably the last six or seven years I've felt a lot more comfortable in my mm. own skin and, and probably have come to a better level of balance. And I look back at some of that, you know, the, the things I used to post and it's not that I'm ashamed of them or anything like that. I just recognized mm. that I was probably someone trying to find their own feet, maybe trying to prove mm. things to, to people for whatever reason. And, and maybe some elements of it were a bit of um, uncontrolled bipolar disorder as well. You know, I, I hadn't been diagnosed at that point, and I think sometimes I, I would find myself inconsolably depressed, and then other times, you know, ridiculously over the top, toxically positive, and that's not that's not necessarily a good thing either. And so it's, it is interesting to to look back and to recognise how you know how we've changed, how we're evolving, how we're, that that's an ongoing process. Yeah, yeah. With with all of that considered, Michelle. Um, I'm going to go pretty broad here. You know, Facebook's just rebranding themselves as meta, which I think is a bit ridiculous, but let's go a bit meta on this thing. What do you see as being the biggest challenge that's now facing people? I know that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, COVID? No. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, as far as nutrition and health goes, I think the... I'm hearing from lots of people who are struggling with um, emotional eating because they are stressed and they're stuck at home or they're, um, you know, there's again a lot, of, a lot of anxiety. But I think the biggest 
problem, which the empowered eating course doesn't necessarily address, is the skyrocketing cases of eating disorders in young people as well as older people. Um, and that's gone up by 400% since COVID. Uh, so it's skyrocketing and there's not enough services for it. Uh, so those, you know, on a, on a lesser scale as far as um, disordered eating, you know, it's that, that emotional eating, the stress eating, the anger eating, all of these sorts of things that are, are an impact of, of the COVID-19 lockdowns and stresses. Um, and then on a more extreme scale, you know, those that are suffering from dis eating disorders, which is distinct from disordered eating, um, are, you know, it's, it's, it's going up too. And, and so it's, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty intense the, uh, how the emotional aspect of health is now affecting our, our physical health and, you know, choices that we make and how we take care of ourselves. Yeah. Mm. And that's... COVID. COVID's the biggest challenge right now. Well, it's a societal thing, right? And I, I, I think that COVID has, uh, you know, certainly COVID's the biggest challenge facing the world right now. Mm, totally. You know, whether people believe in it or not, I mean, irrespective. I mean, I, I do. I believe that it's a real thing. Um, I'm involved yeah. in research on it, and I think that it's definitely a real thing. But even if people don't, just the, the effect of the whole scenario on people's psyche and on society and all that kind of stuff is, is very clear. One thing that I've been throwing around, an idea that I've been throwing around a lot lately is that it's also casting a bit of, it's sort of casting light on probably broader societal issues that we have, you know, issues of freedom, empowerment, mm -hmm. control, you know, how we live in society and how that is really the root of a lot of our health problems, yeah, you know, because absolutely. when people are, when people feel free and they're truly empowered and they have the, the fundamentals of life covered for, and some of the certain key things that are sort of indicated in the research as being critically important, like, you know, fierce egalitarianism, um, you know, unbounded compassion, kindness, those types of things that aren't really lauded in society. People tend to be happy. And when they're not there, and I think society encourages a situation where those things are not abundant, then that leads to a lot of these issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on both sides of the scale, whether it's like, for example, and we won't get into this rabbit hole, but whether somebody is pro the vaccine or anti the vaccine, um, they're still stressed about it. Yeah. <laughs> they're still stressed with either because they're being feeling pressured or they're stressed because of the division. But ultimately, people are stressed, and that's affecting people's eating behaviors because often eating is something that they can control. And when things are a bit out of control, that's when um, you know we can become quite uh, destructive and rigid in our eating behaviors because it's something that we can, you know, take care of. Yeah, good, good point. Can we talked another two hours about this. We've and we won't today, but yeah, no, it's it's a really good point. It's something that people, you know. Can, can ponder in, in their quiet moments that idea of you know control freedom empowerment mm. um mm. Be, because it's it, th these are the big issues i think that people need to start addressing um and you know my 
take home from all of that is we've, we've got to start treating one another better, but I guess that's a bit kumbaya. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think the, um, the be kind message is, is started getting thrown around, but um, I think it is important. I think, and that's, again, going back to the whole weight stigma thing and empowered eating, it's all about being kind to each other, um, but not in a toxic way, you know? It's just understanding and, and teaching people to be more empathetic. Well, that's the thing. When, pe- when people are truly, I mean, it's, it's almost as if the the message of be kind is, is a good one, mm. but it shouldn't be used as an attack, you know, and no. people saying, well, be you know, kind be kind. Yeah, exactly. Whereas the, <laughs> the reality is it's not something that you should be saying to other people in judgment. It's more something that you should just be doing, right? Just, just be kind. Mm. Like don't, don't, yeah. don't tell other don't people to be kind. kind. Just be kind. Stop being a dick. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes, so you're right, Michelle, we could go down the rabbit hole and discuss a a huge amount of these things for for many hours. But I tell you what, let's do that in in future. Um, In the meantime, I think there's a a few brain worms that have been implanted in people that hopefully they'll go away and ponder and and think about. Oh, we love brain worms. That's disgusting. I love (laughs) Not actual brain worms. You should always boil your water before you (laughs) put it in your nose through an eddy pot. But anyway, again, that's another topic for another time. In the meantime, people can find you at <laughs> um, michelleyandel.com. Nice and easy. Or through the Holistic Performance Institute. So obviously I've got a, a profile there as well. So pretty easy to find, I would like to think. Perfect. So we'll put uh, any links in the show notes. Thanks for being with me again, Michelle. It's always very enlightening. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It is. It's always nice to catch up. Thanks for listening to Cliff Dogs Podcasts. Subscribe to the cast at your favorite podcast channel. Check out the articles and member-only content at cliffharvey.com. And if you're interested in studying to become a registered health coach, accredited sports nutritionist, or registered clinical nutritionist, head over to the Holistic Performance Institute at holisticperformance.institute. Thank you.